Heavenly Father, we thank you. You are worthy of all of our praise. You alone deserve the highest praise and glory. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for salvation in your name. We thank you for victory in Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for our brothers and sisters who led us in worship tonight. Thank you for them. Bless them. Bless their families and for their time to lead us to the throne of grace as we sing praise to your name. And Lord, we're thankful for today. We're thankful for whatever has come in our life today, whatever we've faced, whatever circumstances we are dealing with. We pray that you might give us thankful hearts. We pray that you might help us to learn the importance of thanking you for all things, recognizing the will of God in all that comes in our life. We pray, Lord, that tonight, we pray for those who are joining us electronically, we pray that you'd bless them tonight wherever they are, and some who are in hospitals, others who are at home and alone, we pray that you might encourage them. We miss them, but may, we, may they know that we are together in spirit, and we pray that you might help us to remember one another in these days. So while we're praying now, let's... Uh, Let's think about one person, perhaps the Lord would put someone on your mind. Lord, at this time, while we're all gathering here, we pray that you might place that one special person on our heart and mind right now so that we might pray for them. So, Heavenly Father, we pray for this person that you've placed on our mind today. Some of them in our minds are the ones that we're burdened that they be saved and have a relationship with God. Others are in trouble and sorrow and grief and pain from loss. And others are dealing with challenges in their own personal life that they're seeking to try to overcome. Others are rejoicing and having good days and a good season of life. We present them to you and we ask that the will of God might be done in their lives perfectly and completely. You'd finish the work that you begin in those who are saved and that you would start the work in those who are lost that they might come to know you. We pray tonight especially for the United States of America and we pray for these days and choices and elections and decisions that will be made by the people of this country. We pray that your will would be done in the United States of America. We ask that Jesus would be honored and glorified and that you would help the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to rise up and do our work in this country and around the world as you've called us to do and be obedient to you. We thank you now for fellowship around the Word of God, the sweetest of all, the Holy Spirit of God being our teacher and taking the Word of God and placing it in our hearts and minds so that we might rejoice and enjoy this time to be encouraged and challenged by your Word so that we might be doers of your word, not hearers only. So bless us now as we study. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Find your place in the book of Philippians. We'll be looking in Philippians chapter 2, and over the next few weeks we'll be talking about uh, some things we need regarding contentment. Things we need regarding contentment. Good to see all of you tonight. And uh, we want to be praying for our people. Many of them, as you know, it's fall break time around these parts, and so many of our people are traveling. We pray for them to have uh, traveling mercies as they come back. Tonight, I want us to begin, first of all, I want you to look at two 
um, two uh, contrasting places in the book of Philippians that Paul gives to us. Uh, tonight we, we will start by talking about what we need to avoid. We need to avoid discontentment. Discontentment as it is expressed by murmuring and complaining. This becomes very important. In fact, the great enemy of Christian contentment is the enemy of dissatisfaction or dis discontentment. There's not a follower of Jesus in this room. There's not a Christian listening to me who does not deal with the same issue of discontentment. Whether you followed the Lord Jesus for a long time, whether you're brand new and you just now have come to know Christ, all of us experience this emotion, these emotions, and these feelings of discontentment. Why we do is important for us to understand. So as your pastor, it's important for us to talk about these things together because they have a great impact on the effectiveness of our spiritual life. So in Philippians chapter 2, we pick up reading beginning in verse number 12. We'll read through verse number 14, excuse me, through verse 15, uh, so that we can uh, have these words together. So uh, Philippians 2, 12 through 15. Paul's writing to the church at Philippi, one of his favorite groups of people. They loved him. They ministered to Paul. They served him. Paul had some of his dear, wonderful words. Uh, Philippians is a famous book. Many of us in this room tonight would know these words. And many of you have memorized parts of Philippians just like I have. And so he writes and says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. And then I want you to go over and look at the verses we'll be looking at in the days ahead, very familiar verses uh, to most of us. But in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 11, Paul now gives a personal testimony. And this personal testimony is true and is the challenge for each of us who are followers of Jesus to follow the same example. It is the example of Christ's likeness and contentment. Now, not that I speak from want or not that I speak from need, Paul says, verse 11, Philippians 4:11. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and <clears throat> going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Heavenly Father, now bless the reading of your word, and may the Holy Spirit be our teacher tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you consider yourself 
a discontented person? If you're sitting by your spouse, would your spouse consider you a discontented person? Many times we think about discontentment, but we don't look at it as it attacks our spiritual life. That's what I've been trying to talk about in these days. What are the things that hinder us from being Christ-like and serving the Lord and walking with God as we need to? Well, this is a common issue for every one of us who are here tonight who are followers of Jesus. The focal truth around which I'm going to build my comments is this, that believers must avoid discontentment as God's people in the world. There's something I can do about that. There are some ways that I must deal with it. And so tonight I want to just turn the light on this and expose this matter of discontentment. What a powerful thing it is. It's always been an issue with God's people from the beginning. We'll see it in just a moment as we go back and look at Israel as an example of the repeated times when they were discontented with what God was doing in their lives. So here we are in these days. Paul said it the way I, I'm trying to bring this to you. Uh, he said it again, Philippians 4:11. I I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. So all of you here tonight are in circumstances. Every last one of us are living in circumstances. And you may or may not like the circumstances you face tonight in your life. But if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, we don't believe in accidents. We don't believe in just happenstance. We believe that everything that comes into our life is permitted or sent by the Lord directly. The circumstances you are in are given to you by God. And knowing you the way I do, I could go around this room and talk about various ones of you who are experiencing deep and hard circumstances right now in your life. Some of you listening, uh, talking with you on the phone, speaking with you, texting and writing with you. You're carrying heavy burdens. You're carrying, you're living through circumstances that you would wonder why God would permit these things to happen in your life. That's why Paul says, I have learned, I have learned how to be content in whatever circumstance. Circumstances that are good, circumstances that are joyful, circumstances that are successful, circumstances that are hard, circumstances of loss, circumstances of attack, circumstances of pain, circumstances of rejection. I can go on and on. All of us in this room are living in the circumstances of life. Some of our circumstances are common. We're, we're living in these days where there's, there's, there's a built-in amount of irritation in the country today. I see it and sense it in our church. Irritation, just about the way things are. And so we must learn how to live for God through whatever circumstances come our way. And the, circum the longer you live, the more you appreciate what Solomon taught us about the seasons of life. There is a time for everything. There are times for everything when you're young. There are times for everything in middle age. There are times for everything for children and for students and for old people. Times for everything. And as I repeatedly say to you, I love you in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we don't have forever here to live on this earth. 
You and I have been set time. We have established days. God has given to us. Some of you are wondering why the Lord lets you live so long. I've heard people say it. Why? I don't understand why the Lord's allowed me to live so long. Well, he has some things he needs you to do. And others, how sad it is when we stand at their grave and they're already gone young. Oh, the circumstances of life. If we don't learn to live in the circumstances of life, <clears throat> you can never live for Jesus in this world. You just give up. You'll just, you'll just cower down. You'll just bend over and be in despair. So these are very important words that I want to share with you, and I'll do the best I can to take us through it, but I'm speaking to you as your pastor from my heart. And the importance tonight is speaking about this mental issue. Most of us think of murmuring and complaining as outward, and it is. But I want to start, where, I want to start tonight where it starts on the inside in our minds. Murmuring and complaining is a condition of your mind. It's the way you think. And uh, it is, uh, it is uh, important for us because our mind is affected by our circumstances. This is why this is so important. So then my beloved brethren, Ephesians, uh, excuse me, Philippians 2.12 again. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So first there is a command to avoid discontentment in mind and in our words. So how do we do it? How do we avoid discontentment? <clears throat> well, first of all, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. How's your spiritual workout going? How are you working out your salvation? I'm not talking about working to be saved. Now that you're saved, how are you working on your salvation? How are you doing? Are you working at praying? <clears throat> Shauna said something important in her prayer. Help us to be praying people. Yes. Praying. Praying without ceasing, but also having those set times when we do as the Lord called us to do. Go shut the door, get by yourself, and pray. And pray. I was thinking about uh, the mother of John Wesley, Susanna Wesley, about this thing of praying. Some of you ladies who have large families and lots of kids, so you maybe, she had 12 children. Uh, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, two of them. And so, John Wesley said he always remembered when his mother was having her special time of prayer. She would put her apron. Do any of you know what an apron is? Anybody? Does anybody know what an apron is? Do you know what an apron is? Okay. She would put her apron over her head in the middle of the room with all the craziness going on with those 12 kids. And think about 12 kids. That's a lot of kids. And they knew their mother was praying. She couldn't go to her closet because who knows what those 12 kids would have done. She put her apron over her head, but she prayed. And John Wesley and Charles Wesley knew that their mother was a praying mother. She didn't do it to be seen. She did it because it was her duty to work out her salvation. I'm asking you tonight, do you pray? I, I've said to this church, and please pray for me that I don't chase rabbits, but I can't imagine somebody saying that they're saved and they don't pray. I just, I, perhaps I've gotten old and I'm just naive. 
How can I say I'm saved and not pray? And I'm not talking about just shooting a firing up a little help me God deal. Where there's time when you go before the Lord. There's time when you speak with Him. You bring things to Him. It becomes the pattern and habit of your life to speak with God. Are you working on your prayer? Are you praying? Are you working on your worship? I'm amazed that people don't ever go, you know, I'm saved, but I don't ever go to worship. I don't ever, I don't ever sing. I don't come and hear the Word of God. I don't, I don't understand that. Yes, there are sometimes circumstances where I work on your salvation. <clears throat> work on your praying. Work on your worship. Work on your Word. <clears throat> Do you study the Word of God? Do you read the Word of God? Do you memorize the Word of God? Do you meditate on the Word of God? This is your duty as a follower of Jesus. Work out your salvation and do it with fear and trembling. You know why I believe Paul said that? Because we don't have a lot of time. <clears throat> How can I say this? What you spend your time on while you're living will either prepare you or not prepare you when you're dying. Did you hear what I said? Lots of people regret when they're laying on a deathbed if they're still even able to be aware of where they are. The things you're doing while you're living prepare you for when you're dying. Work it out. Fear and trembling. Recognizing how weak we are. Work it out. Work it out. We don't want to work. We want to be lazy and slothful. Work on your praying. Work on your worship. Work on your word. Work on your separation from the world. That would help us all a lot. Work out your salvation. How do I avoid discontentment? Well, you see, the point I'm making here is when I don't pray, discontentment rises. When I don't go to the Word of God to check my, my attitudes in my mind, discontentment rises. When I don't worship God and praise His name and glorify Him by singing and praise and by the Word of God, discontent rises. And when I do not separate myself from the world and from those things I used to do, discontentment rises. I start looking around. Look how happy all these wicked people are. Are they really happy? You've been fooled. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's the, first, it's the first aspect of avoiding discontentment. If you don't want to be discontented, work on, work on your spiritual life. Evaluate your spiritual workout. Some people are very serious about working out, and I admire that. It's wonderful. Physical discipline is important. Exercise yourself to godliness. Work on your salvation. Number two... God's working in you at the same time. While you're working, God's working. See it here? Verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you. I'm saying this to all of you. I love you. I know you all. God is at work in your life. God is at work in your life, those of you who are watching me, listening to me. God is at work in your life. If you are saved, God is at work in your life. He is working in your life. Listen, please listen. He is working in your life not to do what you want, but to do what He wants. He is working in you to will and to work for His good pleasure. That's what God's doing. The losses that come for His good pleasure, for His purposes in our life. 
the gains in your life for His good pleasure. Whatever comes and passes through our hands, whatever God gives to us in all the seasons of life, Sometimes we hold on to something from the past, but it doesn't last. You know what? Nothing's meant to last. Everything comes and goes. Everything comes and goes. Because we're in the seasons of life. And some of you are living, regretting your current life, and you're discontented with your life because you're trying to go back to the past. God is at work in your life. When I, am, when I am working on my salvation and when I recognize God's work in me by His Holy Spirit, by the power of God and the love of God revealed in my heart, and the, by the way, the good and the bad that comes, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. You've been called according to God's purpose. He's going to, he's going to bring good and bad and He's going to permit it in your life so that it makes you a follower of Jesus Christ and like Jesus. And then he comes to this statement, do all things without grumbling or disputing. I've given you the two words here. Notice please, all things. Maybe we read it another way. In everything, do it without grumbling or disputing. In everything. In everything you do, my dear friend, in everything you do, do it without grumbling or disputing. Now let's talk about these two Greek words for uh, grumbling and disputing. There's been some confusion here. We, many of us quote this to our, uh, our husband or our wife when they're griping all the time. Well, you know, it's okay to quote this to them about griping, but this is actually something that starts in your mind. Discontentment starts in your mind. Grumbling is a, actually a word that means secret displeasure. It's, on, it's in your mind. You, you haven't said it, but you have displeasure in your mind about circumstances or some situation. Disputing is actually not here given to us to fight with somebody else, though there are disputes that openly take place. They happen in the church, which wasn't true, but they do. But disputing here is inward reasoning. You know what it is? It's that inward battle you have. It's the inward disputing in your mind. You're deliberating in your mind. Why is God doing this in my life? The circumstances come. You can't stop them. Life comes in all of its ways. And if we're not working on our salvation and recognizing and submitting to the work of God in our life... We grumble. Our minds express secret displeasure with what's happening in our circumstances. And we move through this inward reasoning. It's torture. You're never satisfied. You're deliberating over and over in your mind. The Lord used these exact words. The same Greek words are used in these two passages I've given you here in the New Testament. Matthew 5, 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. It's translated. But the word is disputing. It's the same Greek word. Out of the heart come evil thoughts. You know what it is? You go out in the world and you see the way the world lives and all of a sudden your mind, you start to have this inward dispute and then guess what? Well, I'm just going to kill that person. I'm just going to commit adultery. Everybody else does. I'm going to, 
I'm going to live in sexual fornication. I'm going to steal. I deserve it. I'm going to lie and I'm going to slander people and attack their character. This is just the Lord's example. And he could have said many more things. Out of the heart come disputings. You know what? When you're living in that kind of mental discontent, there's no telling what you're capable of doing. And that's very important for us. Romans 1.21, For even though they knew God, talking about the lost who are under the wrath of God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their disputing, their speculation, seats in their mind. Is there a God? Is there not a God? I'm going to go with my idols. I'm going to go with what I can see. I'm not going to go with the unseen. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Jeremiah said it perhaps the best way, Lamentations 3, 38 to 40. Is it not from the, mouth, from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? Yes. The Lord permits and allows the good and the bad, the good and the ill to come. And then I underlined it for you if you have your notes. Why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of his sins? When circumstances come my way and I don't like the way they are, why, who am I to complain about what is being given to me? And then Jeremiah calls us to these words. We looked at them many months ago as we were talking about revive us again. Let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. That's what I'm asking you to do tonight. Examine your heart. Are you living in discontent? Is your mind filled with grumbling and disputing. No wonder you don't pray. No wonder you don't read. The, it immobilizes you. It immobilizes you. So for a moment now, we look at the sinfulness. We look at an example of the sinfulness of discontent. And I'd ask you to just take your Bible. In fact, you, you know, I want you to flip back over to these verses for just a moment. Uh, just to look. Most of your Bibles have topics or have a section above each of the paragraphs that describe what's going on in that section of the Bible. I just want you to see what's going on here in these places. In uh, Exodus chapter 15, uh, the children of Israel have been delivered. Pharaoh has pursued them. The sea was divided in chapter 14. And we know that the Egyptians were dis destroyed. And then we have the glorious song of Moses. The song of Moses, it's seen here and it's seen again in the book of Revelation which becomes, by the way, the song of the Lamb. The song of Moses, such a glorious song. And all of the children of Israel, it says, Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song. We have all the verses. We have the song. They sang this song. They praised God. They glorified God. They celebrated salvation and deliverance. And then the scripture tells us in verse 22, uh, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness. Circumstances changed. And they were three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah for they were bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. In Hebrew it means bitterness. So the people grumbled at Moses. What shall we drink? 
And then we read this amazing statement about how he cried to the Lord. The Lord showed him a tree. He threw it into the waters. The waters became sweet and they were able to drink. And then as they go along, the Lord not only provided that short-term solution in their circumstance of need. They needed water. They grumbled. They, didn't, they had just seen God destroy the entire Egyptian army. Are you listening? And now they're griping because they have nothing to drink. As if somewhere God left them. God helped them before, now He won't help them again. In fact, the Lord leads them to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 date palms, and they camped there beside the waters. Oh, the glory of being at Elam. God not only gave them sweet waters in the wilderness, but He took them to an oasis in the middle of the wilderness. That's how God provides for you in your circumstances when you think everything's lost. In Exodus 16, the Lord provides manna for the people. So in verse number, uh, in verse number 1, they, they went from Elam and they came to the wilderness of sin. They're out in... They're back in the wilderness. Circumstances have changed. The oasis is now behind them, and they're out in the wilderness. And on the 15th day of the second month, after being out of Egypt, two months after being delivered from Egypt, the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses. In their circumstances in the wilderness, and the sons of Israel said, would that we had died by the... Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when he, we sat by the pots of meat. They never liked those pots of meat, but now, oh, the glory of the pots of meat in Egypt. When we ate bread to the full, boy, boy, has their view of Egypt changed. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. First they were thirsty, now they're hungry. And what does the Lord do? Miraculously, He gives them manna. And the Lord provides it for them. Verse number 8, This will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to the full in the morning. For the Lord hears, listen, this is an important note for you, the Lord hears your grumblings which you grumble against Him. Did you know God hears you when you grumble against Him? You may not say it out loud, but you're thinking it. You're questioning God. You're saying, how dare God do this to me? How dare God permit this to happen to me? How dare God allow me to go through this? Be careful when you grumble. Be careful in speaking this way and thinking this way before God. So the Lord again provides manna, and you have a description of the manna. Those who would not believe the Word of God to be true, just read sometime the detail about the manna, how much it weighed, what it was. This is, this is amazing what we read here. And then, of course, we come to number 17. The circumstances changed again. Then verse 1, chapter 17, Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness according to the command of the Lord, and they camped at Rephidim. And there was no water for the people. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses. Give us water that we may drink. Moses said, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? 
But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And so what did the Lord do? He brought water out of a rock. What does God do in your most extreme circumstances? He brings water out of the rock. What does God do for you in extreme circumstances when you don't know how He'll ever take care of you? He sends you manna from heaven. What do you do in your circumstances when all the trouble is gone and bitterness is everywhere? He tosses the tree in. What a picture this is of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus dies for us and there's sweetness in the bitterness of life. Is the Lord among us or not? Exodus 17, 6 and 7. He named the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel, because they tested the Lord. Is this what you say when you grumble? Is God really with me or not? Does God really tell the truth? Does God keep His promises? Is God with me or not? Well, then we come all the way to Numbers. If you just flip over there, just look at your title headings. Now the spies have come and they've come, they've, brought, they've been brought to the very edge of the promised land as God provided them all the way across the wilderness and all their circumstances which changed. And now here they are and the spies come back and they declare that, yes, it is all that the Lord said. We went into the land. This is 1327 where you sent us, and certainly it does flow with milk and honey. Nevertheless, the people are big and strong, and the walls are great. Anak lives there. Anak lives there. There's that giant in your life. There's that giant in your circumstances. Well, God's people didn't believe, did they? The whole congregation, Numbers 14, 2. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses, and the whole congregation said to them, What that we had died in Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness? Numbers 14, 13. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Numbers 14, 26, 27, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? It is evil to grumble against God's ways in your life. Numbers 14, 28 and 29, The Lord said, Just as you have spoken in my hearing, so will I surely do to you. Your corpses will fall in this wilderness, even all your numbered men according to your complete number from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. An entire generation of people died because of their grumbling against God. Paul says that the things written before times in the Old Testament are examples to us so that we might fear God and live for the Lord. What did the Pharisees do time and time again? Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him, because the Lord said, I am the bread of life. Jude 14, 16. This is the prophecy of Enoch, the man who walked with God and was not. 
He was the seventh from Adam. Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against God. Have you spoken harshly against God and you say you're saved? They are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lust. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. So Paul tells us tonight the importance in Philippians chapter 2. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's how you begin to avoid discontentment. For it is God who works in you both to will and work for His good pleasure. When you are complaining and when you are grumbling and disputing against God, you are grumbling and disputing against God's ways and His work in your life. You must be careful. You must be careful. I'm not saying these things because I'm trying to be dramatic. I'm saying these things because the Word of God gives us great warning and your discontentment is destroying your spiritual life, and you are testing and tempting God. Thank God for the grace of God. But some of us misunderstand that. Grace is grace. But grieving God and grieving the Holy Spirit is real. So when you murmur and complain, what does it look like? Let me just go through some observations here as we finish up. Number one. You rebel against God's work in your circumstances. When I here's, what I, here's what I need in my life. I need to avoid grumbling and murmuring because I'm rebelling against God's work in my circumstances. Whatever you are going through, God is using it in your life to make you more like Jesus. When you complain and murmur, you are rebelling against God's work in your life. You do not trust God's ways in your circumstances when you murmur and complain. You lose precious time in your short life. The sadness of the 20-year-olds of the and up in the generations of Israel, they wasted all that time and never saw the provision of God and learned how God took care of them through all the circumstances of life. Some of you... The clock is ticking down to the end. And what you're doing now is either preparing you for death or not. You're wasting your time murmuring and complaining rather than praising and trusting God. Your love for God goes away. You lose your discipline in your walk with God. You don't pray when you're discontented. As I've said, you don't read the Word. You don't worship. You're discontented. You blame it on somebody else. You blame it on your circumstance. It's His fault. It's her fault. It's their fault. You waste away your days to walk with God. You experience sinful emotions that lead to sinful actions. This is what the Lord was saying. When you start with mental murmuring and complaining, it leads to outward, overt wickedness and sin. <laughs> How many times have we said, well, I can't believe that. Why? That preacher, he went out and did. Well, why can't you? 
If a man lives in discontentment, whether he's a preacher or deacon or whatever he may call himself, or some woman who serves in the church faithfully and then ends up in sin, why well, it didn't just happen overnight. Discontentment rises and blocks their walk with God, and they find themselves, because of sinful emotions, sinful in their deeds. When you murmur and complain, you practice unthankfulness rather than thankfulness. And we are told to give thanks for all things. For this is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus, no matter who gets elected. Just wanted to see if you were listening. When you murmur and complain, you become vulnerable to greater temptations to sin. When you murmur and complain, you lose the comfort of what you've been given by God in your current circumstances. We didn't get to it, but you know, the Lord gave them manna, and after a while they griped about the manna. Miracle food. Miracle food. Wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. When you murmur and complain, you gain nothing for your discontentment. You don't get anything out of it. You lose. And you cause others to avoid you. Listen, there's nobody who wants to be around an agitated, murmuring, complaining, belly-aching, whining person. That's why sometimes they see you coming and they run away. That's why your kids sometimes stay away. That's why your husband or wife spends a lot of time shopping or out in the garage or driving around who knows where. And what does God think all the time? Things to remember. The greater the blessing of God that comes in your life, the greater the sin of discontentment for His blessings. When God has greatly blessed you and you turn in discontentment and murmur and complain, what great sin that is for the great blessings of God. Discontented complaining sours your soul and poisons your relationships. Not only poisoning your relationship with God, it poisons your relationship with others. It just spreads. It spreads. Peter said it this way, be hospitable to everyone without complaining. You mean I got to be kind to them? Yes. Yes, you do. Discontentment toward God is the greatest act of unbelief. It demonstrates you have no faith in God. Discontentment is ungratefulness for God's gifts. There's not a one of us in here who appreciates it when we give our children or grandchildren a gift and they turn their nose up at it. It, it, it bothers us. It aggravates us. When our children don't appreciate what we give them. What do you think the Lord thinks about you and me? when we whine in discontent and murmur. The self-centered always complain of their conditions. Did you know that? In ministry, you listen to a lot of people talk about things. It's interesting to listen to people talk. 
about their troubles. It's interesting to listen to the self-centered who always complain about their conditions. It's a form of murmuring and complaining. It dishonors God and it dishonors you and your relationship with the Lord. Oh, by the way, Paul says, do all things without disputing or grumbling, Philippians 2.15 as I finish, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach. There is nothing more powerful in your witness for Christ to your friends and neighbors when they know you are in the midst of terrible and horrible circumstances and you trust God and believe God and praise God even in the midst of the fire. That's how you prove yourself to be an innocent, blameless child of God. The murmurer believes all mercies are bitterness. And he tastes bitterness in every mercy. It's always this way. The murmurer believes all mercies are bitterness. Can't see the difference. Because their eyes have been clouded over. So what do I do tonight with this? Well, I ask myself this question. Do I continually grumble against God's work in my life? Am I grumbling tonight? Did you come here tonight grumbling? You might be saying it out loud. You might be having a smile on your face, telling everybody I'm good, but inside you're disputing and grumbling against God. You're telling God how unfair it is. You're questioning God and saying, is God here or not? Do you complain openly to others about the circumstances of your life? Be careful when you do that. You're dishonoring God. It's very interesting how we ask for prayer, but asking for prayer is important, and the way we ask for prayer versus asking for prayer in order for me to get a chance to just gripe about what God's doing to me. It's dishonorable to God. Examine your heart and confess your discontentment to the Lord. He already knows it's there. He hears it. And thank God for your circumstances and praise Him for His goodness to you. I want to talk more about that on Sunday, the goodness of God. And finally, think about the good from the bad that God has done in your life. Rejoice. Rejoice. Some of us have lived long enough to see the blending of the good and the bad by the majestic, powerful, glorious hands of God. And it all works for good for those who love God. And loving God means trusting God, not complaining to God and about God. Well, I end with this uh, thought for you. Here's a way for you to never grumble. There are two things for which you should never grumble. First, at the things which you can change. Why are you griping at everybody about what you can change? Just go turn the light off. Just go empty the trash. What you're griping about. Pick whatever's on your gripe list. Can you change it? Well, then go change it. Do something about it. Get up. First, at the things which you can change, and second, at the things at which you cannot change. If you can change them, then change them, and if you cannot, trust God. And if you do these things, you'll never grumble. 
take care of it, or trust God with it. And you'll never grumble. So then, my beloved brethren, just as you've always obeyed in my presence, uh, not only in my presence, but also when in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. So that, praise God, you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Heavenly Father, how we need your help, Holy Spirit of God, we confess our discontentment. We confess our murmuring and our complaining. We confess them. We confess our disbelief and unbelief that you will work and move. We confess it when we when discontent rises in our hearts, we confess it. It is sin. It is, it is failure to trust you. Forgive us of our sins. May we learn to live in the joy of the Lord Jesus, in the joy of the Holy Spirit, trusting you in all things, knowing that you have our best interests at heart, because we're your children. So we put all our circumstances on the table. Here they all are. Here they are. You know them all. Here they are, Lord. And you've permitted them all, or you've sent them. So now, we say thank you. And we trust you. We ask that Jesus would be glorified in the remainder of our lives. How long it may be is up to you, but may Jesus be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people can say, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Good to see you. Hope to see you Sunday. Say hello to somebody on your way out and have a good rest of the week. God bless you, all of you who watched us tonight. May the Lord bless you.